Chapter 1 of With Links of Steel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Gerald Moe, Tucker, Georgia. With Links of Steel by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 1. With Links of Steel. CHAPTER One, A CRAFTY ROBBERY. MR. VENNER, SIR? MR. VENNER, YES, CERTAINLY. YOU WILL FIND HIM IN HIS PRIVATE OFFICE. THAT WAY, SIR, THE DOOR TO THE RIGHT. VENNER IS IN HIS PRIVATE OFFICE, JOSEPH, IS HE NOT? I DON'T THINK SO, MR. GARSIDE, UNLESS HE HAS JUST RETURNED. I SAW HIM GO OUT SOME TIME AGO. IS THAT SO? wait a moment young man the young man halted and then turned back to face mr garside with an inquiring look in his frank brown eyes not here sir do i understand he asked politely mr garside shook his head he was a tall slender man of forty and was the junior partner of the firm of rufus venner and company a large retail jewelry house in new york city with a handsome store on Fifth Avenue, not far from Madison Square. It was in their store that this introductory scene occurred, and proved to be the initiatory step of one of the shrewdest and most cleverly executed robberies on record. It was about eleven o'clock one April morning. The sun was shining brightly outside, and at the curbing in front of the store were several handsome private carriages with stiff-backed, motionless coachmen in bottle-green livery perched upon their boxes, all of which plainly indicated the very desirable patronage accorded the firm mentioned. In the store the glare of the sun was subdued by partly-drawn yellow curtains which lent a soft amber light to the deep interior and enhanced the dazzling beauty of the merchandise there displayed. The store was a rather narrow one, but quite deep, with a long counter on each side, back of which were numerous clerks, some engaged in waiting upon the several customers then present. At the rear of the store was an office enclosure with a partition of plate glass, while at either side of this enclosure was a smaller room entirely secluded, these being the private offices of the two members of the firm. Mr. Garside was standing about in the middle of the store when the young man entered and inquired for Mr. Venner. As he turned from the clerk who had informed him of Venner's absence, he added, half an apology, to his visitor, I was mistaken, young man. My clerk tells me that Mr. Venner is out just now. Do you know where he has gone, Joseph? No, sir, I do not. I think he will pleasantly return, said Garside, again reverting to the caller. Is there anything that I can do for you, or will you wait until Mr. Venner comes in? I will not wait, Mr. Garside, since you are one of the firm and probably know about this matter, replied the young man drawing a small cloth-covered package from his breast pocket. Here are the ten diamonds for which Mr. Venner sent us an order this morning. 
I come from Thomas Hafferman, sir, and will leave the stones with you. The man mentioned was also a jeweler, and a large importer of diamonds and costly gems. Mr. Garside's countenance took on an expression of mild surprise. From Hafferman, an order from Venner, he murmured inquiringly, I was not aware that Venner sent out any order for diamonds this morning. One of your clerks brought the order, sir, and requested Mr. Hafferman to send the stones here as soon as convenient, replied the messenger. Mr. Hafferman did not know your clerk personally, so I was sent here to deliver the stones. What is your name, young man? Harry Boyden, sir. I have worked for Mr. Hafferman for nearly five years. I think you will find that the order was properly sent. Wait just a moment, Mr. Boyden, suggested Garside, smiling. Then he hastened to the rear of the store and spoke through the open window near the cashier's desk. Do any of you know of an order sent out by Mr. Venner this morning? he inquired, addressing the several clerks at work in the office. An order to Thomas Hafferman for ten diamonds? Only a girl stenographer, seated at a typewriter near the office door, replied. I think Mr. Venner sent Spalding out about half an hour ago, sir, she replied. I saw him give Spalding several letters. Ah, doubtless it's all right enough, bowed Garside. Yet I wonder that I had heard nothing about it. Joseph, has Spalding been here within a few minutes? No, sir, replied the clerk, the same who had at first been questioned. I saw him go outside just before Mr. Venner departed, and he has not yet returned. Garside had now reached the middle of the store again, where Boyden was still waiting. Are you quite sure that the order came from Mr. Venner? he again inquired. How long ago was that messenger at your store? About half an hour ago, sir, Boyden readily answered. The order was, I presume, signed by Mr. Venner. Was it our man Spalding who delivered the order? Do you know him by sight? I do not, sir. Joseph Maynard, yonder, is the only clerk here with whom I am acquainted, and I think he will vouch for me, said Boyden, now beginning to smile at Garside's manifest caution over receiving the diamonds. Surely, sir, no harm can come from your keeping the stones until Mr. Venner returns, since I am willing to leave them with you, he added, laughing. Oh, no, no, I wasn't thinking of that, Garside quickly answered. I wished only to avoid the needless trouble of returning them in case the order did not come from us. I think the order was all right, Mr. Garside. Besides, sir, I saw Mr. Venner yesterday at our store examining some diamonds. Doubtless these are the same. Oh, if that is the case, leave them, by all means, Garside cried. I was not aware that he had called there. Probably they are for some order of which he has personal charge. Yes, yes, Mr. Boyden, leave them, certainly. Here, Joseph, place the package in one of the vault drawers, and hand it to Mr. Venner when he returns. Sorry to have detained you so long, Mr. Boyden. 
had you begun by stating that Venner called yesterday upon Mr. Hafferman, I should not have demurred over the matter. There's no harm done, Mr. Garside. None whatever, replied Boyden, bowing and smiling. I appreciate your caution, sir. If there proves to have been any mistake in ordering them, you can easily return the stones. Good morning, sir. Garside replied with a nod over his shoulder, having turned to hand the parcel to his clerk, back of the counter, and Boyden immediately departed. "'Is that young man an acquaintance of yours, Maynard?' inquired Mr. Garside. "'Yes, sir. He has been with Hafferman for several years. Doubtless it's all right, then. Odd, though, that Venner should have made no mention to me of this order.' Hand him the package as soon as he comes in. I will, sir, at once. Maynard had already placed the small parcel in a drawer of the huge steel vault back of the counter, and now resumed the work at which he had been engaged. Mr. Garside sauntered toward the front of the store and presently greeted a lady who entered. Twenty minutes passed, and the incident of the diamonds was almost forgotten by both employer and clerk. Soon both were reminded of it, however, by the entrance of another man, a smooth-featured young fellow with pale blue eyes, a sallow complexion, slightly pockmarked. He was of medium height and well put together, and was clad in a neat business suit of fashionable appearance. Quickly approaching Mr. Garside, who was then disengaged, he tendered one of Thomas Hafferman's business cards, and said, glibly, while bowing and laughing lightly, "'Excuse me, Mr. Garside, but we rather owe you an apology. Our Mr. Boyden left some diamonds with you a short time ago, which should have been delivered to Tiffany and Company. Mr. Hafferman read the order without his spectacles, and it's rather a good joke on him, for he thought it was signed Venner and Company. The blunder was partly owing to the fact, no doubt, that Mr. Venner called to see him yesterday about some diamonds. There, exclaimed Garside, as if quite pleased to discover that he had been so nearly right. I knew well enough that Venner had not sent out any order without mentioning it to me. Yes, your Mr. Boyden left the stones here. "'For Tiffany and Company, eh?' "'Yes, sir, and they should have been delivered long ago,' was the reply, with a conventional laugh. "'If you please, I'll leave them there on my way back. Deucedly stupid blunder on Hafferman's part, I'm sure. And I hope—oh, there's no harm done, I guess, and but a little time lost,' interrupted Garside, joining in the other's laugh. You will deliver them, you say? If you please. Here, Joseph, hand me that package of diamonds left here by Boyden. They were sent to us by mistake. I knew it well enough at the time. Here you are, mister. Raymond, sir, I am cashier at Hafferman's. Many thanks. Sorry to have troubled you. Very sorry. No trouble at all, laughed Garside accompanying Mr. Raymond toward the street door. The trouble has been all yours, sir. That's quite true, smiled Raymond, 
as he bowed himself out with the package of diamonds in his hand. But now the pleasure is all mine, he added to himself upon reaching the sidewalk. Then he strode rapidly away, quickly losing himself in the midday stream of people thronging a famous New York thoroughfare. Less than five minutes later, before any misgivings had crept into the mind of Mr. Garside, the senior member of the firm came hurrying into the store. "'Oh, I say, Venner,' exclaimed his partner, stopping him near the office door, "'what diamonds are you thinking of buying at Hafferman?' "'Of Hafferman?' echoed Venner, with a look of surprise. "'Weren't you looking at some stones there yesterday?' "'Yes, certainly. Some very choice diamonds. I want ten of the first water, a little larger and more perfectly matched than any we have in stock at present. But how did you learn that I had called there?' Mr. Garside quickly informed him of the several incidents of the past half-hour, where, to his consternation and dismay, a look of sudden apprehension swept over Venner's face. Raymond, the name of Halfman's cashier, he cried. Nothing of the sort, Philip. Their cashier is named Briggs. I know him well. Briggs, 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 yes, Briggs, reiterated Mr. Venner, excitedly. By heaven, there must be something wrong here. "'Dear me, if this Raymond was an impostor, we are done out of... Wait, wait!' Checking his partner with an impulsive gesture, Venner rushed into his private office and seized his desk telephone, quickly calling up the firm by which the diamonds had been sent. Garside followed him into the room, only to hear the questions hurriedly asked over the wire by his excited partner, who presently dropped the telephone and leaped to his feet, crying loudly, so loudly that his voice filled the entire store, and brought all hands hurrying in his direction. There is no doubt of it, Garside, none whatever. You have been duped, swindled, robbed of four thousand dollars worth of gems. Raymond was an impostor, a crook. Venner, hush! You are losing your head, protested Garside, white with dismay. It's enough that we have lost the stones, so at least keep your head. Waste not a moment. Notify the police. Telephone at once for men from the central office. Blast the police. The central office be hanged, cried Venner, choking down an oath of wrathful contempt. I will have none of your police, none of your central office men. I want a detective, not an effigy of one. Rufus... "'Silence, Garside, and leave this affair to me,' Venner harshly interrupted. "'You've had fingers in it enough already.' With which rebuke, Mr. Rufus Venner strode passionately out of the office and into the store proper, shouting loudly to the clerk previously mentioned, "'Maynard, here you, Maynard. Call a cab at once, and go for Nick Carter. Lose not a moment.' Don't wait to ask questions, you blockhead. Away with you at once. Bring Nick Carter here with the least possible delay. Maynard had already seized his coat and hat and was hurrying out of the store. And thus began one of the most stirring and extraordinary criminal cases that ever fell within the broad experience of the famous New York detective mentioned.
End of chapter 1. Recording by Gerald Moe, Tucker, Georgia.